listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour. We have plenty to get through in this next hour. We're going to take the pulse of the race to be the next leader of the Conservative Party. We're going to take a look at whether or not a social conservative, someone that holds social conservative values, can they possibly, A, win the leadership, and B, if they do, can they ever be prime minister? We have some details on that. Daryl Bricker will be with us for that. Adrian Batra from the Toronto Sun will also join us to talk about that. I am going to take you to China for the very latest on the Wuhan virus, or is it the coronavirus? Have we come up with a short form for this yet? The Wu flu. Is it is that something that we're actually calling it? We're saying that out loud now? Perhaps it is. We're going to check in on that. Also, Tesla, the money that Tesla is going to earn for Elon Musk is just absolutely jaw-dropping. We're going to keep our eye on the stock price of Tesla today and see whether or not Elon Musk is walking away with the money. Would you drive an electric car? Would you buy an electric vehicle? If you drive an electric vehicle, are you are you less likely to experience road rage? Is there something about a combustion engine that makes us more combustible? I ask because we have what is suspected to be a case of road rage in Brampton this morning. Peel police tweeting this morning around 6.30 in the morning, there was an altercation between two drivers near airport and Coventry roads. One of them was subsequently struck by a vehicle. Constable Sarah Patton picks up the story. The report was that two male drivers were in some sort of altercation when one driver got out of the vehicle and was struck by the other driver. Um, the victim was taken to a trauma centre with serious uh, injuries, but we're still waiting on an update on their injuries at this time. That is Sarah Patton, constable with Peel Regional Police. On the line is Jamie Barocker, a global news reporter who's been covering the story for us. Hi, Jamie. Hey, how's it going, Alan? What do we know about all of this? Well, we arrived to the scene pretty early on, and there was only one vehicle there. That's obviously because the suspect left the scene. This was considered not only an incident of alleged road road rage, but um, a hit and run as well. Um, that suspect was found very close by. They were arrested and taken into custody by, I would say, um, eight, 8 o'clock in the morning, around 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. So that happened very quickly. Now, uh, subsequent to that happening, the victim's son actually showed up to the scene to pick up his dad's SUV. Um, he was visibly upset. You know, he spent a long time talking with officers, uh, explaining the situation. We tried to talk to him on camera, but um, rightfully so. He, he was still um, quite jarred by the whole incident, but he did tell us that basically his dad had gotten to some sort of argument. Um, he thinks potentially because his dad had been cut off, something of that nature, uh, he got out of the vehicle, and that's when the driver in the second vehicle um, hit him as he was leaving the scene. So, Obviously, now police are saying when it comes to incidents of road rage and where you think things are getting out of control, the best thing to do is not approach the other driver. You want to stay away from that other driver. The other thing in this case, Alan, is that um, that man was sent to a trauma center because his injuries are pretty serious. And at this point, um, the the, uh, major 
Intelligence Bureau is investigating, which also points to the seriousness of this incident. Speaking with Jamie Morocker, who's a global news reporter, has been covering this Brampton uh, suspected case of road rage in Brampton. I want to go back to Sarah Patton, the constable from Peel Regional Police. We are treating it as a road rage incident, so we're definitely stressing to the community in these circumstances. Do not engage other drivers when they're trying to um, instigate you into some sort of an altercation. If you can, drive to your nearest police station and notify police officers of uh, the license plate of the suspect or any description of the vehicle so that we can follow up. That again is Constable Sarah Patton of Peel Regional Police. On the line is Jamie Morocker, a global news reporter. And uh, Sarah, they're basically making the point that you were making, which is mm-hmm. police saying, don't get out of the car. What do we know yeah. exactly about what happened to prompt them to get out of the cars? It, it's still honestly really unclear at this point, Alan. I know, um, like I said, the, the son didn't really want to talk too much in between kind of like half conversations with him because he was so distraught. He said something about um, that potentially his dad was cut off. He's still unclear at this point. He wasn't driving the vehicle. His dad was driving the vehicle. He was just there to pick it up. Um, but I know earlier in the show I heard something about that's not clear if charges will be laid. Well, you know that charges are going to be laid in this incident, especially when somebody leaves the scene um, of a crime. That's a, a, an offense right there. And you struck someone. Um, I did ask Sarah if they thought maybe alcohol or inebriation in any way was involved. She said no, but at this point uh, they still have quite a bit in the investigation to go. Jamie Morocker, a global news reporter, working on this story about a suspected case of road rage in Brampton. Thanks so much for being on the program. Thank you for having me. So the phone number is 416-870-6400. Do you suffer from the road rage? Are your kids like my kids? They learned all of their bad words from being in the car with me at a young age. I used to actually worry about this. I, I, you know, if something blurred out, I'd be like, I'm really sorry. And my son, who is now in grade six, just looks me right in the eye and says, Dad, I go to public school. There is no word that I have not already heard. There is no, I, he says, I can teach you some swear words if you like. But that's another issue. Do you suffer from road rage? What is it about being in our vehicles that makes us so angry You know, you think of yourself as kind of a calm, reasonable person, but I know, like my father, for example, his favorite term is turkey. He'll call somebody a turkey who's driving, and I've never heard anybody be able to use the word turkey and make it sound so filthy and so angry. But he can do that because people get upset when you're in the car. Why is it? Let me know if you have a road rage story, and I'll try and get it on, and maybe you have an issue with road rage you want to admit. In terms of maybe, you know, just yelling. Obviously, this is an extreme case in Brampton where it looks like somebody got out of their car and then the other person ran them down. But on the line, to talk more about road rage and how to deal with it, is Jeff McLeod, who is sales team lead from Carfax Canada, and they've looked into this in ways to be able to calm yourself down. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Alan. How are you? I'm good. I'm calm. I'm not behind the wheel. (laughs) Yes, yes, both that's both of us right now. But what is it, do you think, about driving that causes normally just very calm people to just fly off the handle? Well, you know, we've all been there. I mean, we we've likely all witnessed it happen. You know, there's aggressive behavior from another driver. 
you know, rude gestures, excessive honking, you know, their driving techniques are pretty questionable. And so, you know, it's just important for everyone to just keep in check just for everyone's safety. Um, You know, especially with busy roads uh, during rush hour, it can be just frustrating. Um, You know, you expect to get somewhere at a certain time and, you know, anytime sort of plans get turned upside down, it's just sort of natural for people to, to get stressed out and, you know, they sort of get down that rabbit hole of stress leading to to other things. You know what I, I think about it is, oddly, I think there's a connection between social media and Twitter and our cars, and that is that we feel anonymous. We feel like we can just do or say what we like when we are in our cars because nobody can see us and there's no consequence to it. Yeah, I mean, I guess there could be something to that. Um you know, people are, you know, they have their tinted windows and sometimes they do things and speed off. And so, you know, I, I don't know what the research says, but yeah, you know, there could be something to that. Jeff McLeod is a sales team lead with Carfax Canada. Join me on the line. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate your perspective. I want to get to the uh, phone lines just as I update you on a 2019 study of Canadian drivers that said uh, things that we will admit to. Number one, speeding. We will admit to speeding. But number two on your list of what Canadian drivers will admit to at 30% is road rage. Would you admit to having road rage? Chris is from Niagara and is on the line. Chris, will you admit to having road rage? Oh, goodness, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. This is not a question for you. You, you you've, what, what causes you to lose it and fly off the handle? Every single time, it is uh, self-importance. Somebody think, else being I, self-important, you mean, or it's your self-importance? It's my self. It's my Ooh. self-importance. It's me. It's any time that I am on the roads and I'm I'm uh, look at this, look at that, and uh, don't you understand that I had somewhere to go, and don't you understand what just happened to me ten minutes before this, and get out of my way and. It's lack of lack of control of the situation in an autonomous vehicle. And how do you, you seem like you're quite in touch with yourself here, Chris. Uh, how do you be able to bring that temperature down? Oh, it's like being in the shower. Like if I'm alone, I can curse and swear and just not act on it, right? But um, I just go back to if, where I'm at. You just look around and say, you know what, that person there might have just be on the way from a uh, funeral. That person there might be just, uh, maybe they're looking for their kid right now. That person there, you know, and I make up stories sometimes uh, to say, just chill, man. We're all, we're all in this together. Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate that perspective. The race to replace Andrew Scheer has been blown wide open by the announcement of Rhonda Ambrose that she is out. Ambrose noting that she has, quote, really struggled with the decision to return to political life, but intends to stay in the private sector. So she is out. And the deadline to register as a candidate and meet the first round of requirements for this race is February 27th. So we have a ways. We have some people who have said that they are in, but the question is, can they get the signatures? Can they get the cash? 
cash in time. Here are the candidates who have officially declared that they intend to run. Marilyn Gladue, a conservative MP for Ontario's riding of Sarnia-Lampton. Peter McKay, the former progressive conservative leader, conservative cabinet minister, and longtime MP from Nova Scotia who now lives here in Toronto. Rick Peterson, an Alberta businessman. Aaron Seal, former director of policy for two conservative cabinet ministers. Bobby Singh, entrepreneur and conservative candidate in the 2019 election. He was a conservative candidate in Scarborough Rouge Park. Derek Sloan, who is a conservative MP for the Ontario riding of Hastings, Lennox and Addington. Not officially saying they're in yet, but you can add to the list Aaron O'Toole, who finished third in the 2017 conservative leadership race. And Ottawa MP Pierre Polyev, another former Harper-era minister who is expected to seek the leadership. And in an an interview with the Toronto Star, Polyerva said that under his leadership, Conservative MPs would be free to bring forward legislation on abortion and vote according to their conscience. That prompted Ipsos CEO Daryl Bricker, pollster extraordinaire, to take to Twitter and write, It's bizarre how Conservatives have allowed their opponents to define their beliefs Views on abortion and same-sex marriage, not core defining features of who does or who would vote conservative. Marginal issues that Canadians have decided already. Daryl Bricker, the CEO of Ipsos, joins me on the line. Hi, Daryl. Hey, how are you doing, Alan? I'm well. Do you want to expand on that? What do you mean there? Well, you know, fighting over issues that have already been litigated and basically have been placed on the political agenda by your opponents is generally not a good way to uh, to to campaign or to present your party into uh, into the political environment. So that social conservatism, which is by the way a fairly wide-ranging definition and fairly open definition, to allow it to become completely defined by the difference of minority, very small minorities, uh, in terms of uh, both uh, uh, LGBTQ issues and abortion, seems to me the the height of folly for the conservatives uh, to get into. So. Uh, that they've even started off talking about this is just allowing other people to set their agenda for them. We're going to play another clip that is kind of blowing up the conservative race now, but I also want to bring on the line Adrian Batra, who is editor-in-chief of the Toronto <coughs> Sun. Hi, Adrian. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, I, we're just working out the, mo- the levels here. And I, I, I want to ask you this, because Daryl talked about social conservatism, and it's a, it's a, it's a widely used term, but... Can someone that holds social conservative views, however you define that, win the leadership and then, more importantly, ever become prime minister? Well, I think, yes, we've seen it happen before with Prime Minister Harper. But I think, you know, I would never, you know, stretch to disagree with the, the Dr. Daryl Bricker, who's very <laughs> smart and knows a lot about these sorts of things. But Okay, here it comes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the challenge, you know, Pierre Polyev had yesterday, he was asked the question, and he answered it, and I think he answered it honestly. But overall, the Tories do not want this leadership race to become about socially conservative values. And I think this is sort of pivot away from um, that overall notion. Every single candidate that has declared or said that they were going to declare that really has a shot at, at winning leader denounced 
those comments immediately yesterday. And I think that is a, an important component. That are you, are you talking about Poliarva's comments? or the? Uh, I, I will play for you in a moment what came from CTV's oh. Power Play yesterday. But so what came from Power Play? Sorry, I, I think I got ahead of, uh, I got got ahead ahead of yourself a little my, bit. My, my apologies. But nonetheless, um, just overall, um, they do not want this race to be defined by that alone. This is about... Um, taking on the Liberal Party, taking on, if it, is, if it even is Justin Trudeau, that they're going to be running against in the, in the next election. Um, because, let's face it, whomever is likely to become the leader of the Conservative Party will likely be the next Prime Minister. And so that's, that's a, a reality that party members have to uh, grapple with as well. All right, hold on with me here as I'm going to play this for you now. This is from CTV's Power Play on Wednesday and another thing that is really blowing up the conservative race. This is Richard Decari, a largely unknown former political aide to Stephen Harper while he was in opposition. It is thought that he may declare and try and become a standard bearer for a, a, a certain type of viewpoint. Here is the exchange from CTV's Power Play. I think LGBTQ is a liberal term. I don't, uh, I don't talk about people th- that way. I, I talk about uh, persons, and I think uh, we all need the full respects uh, for uh, being a human being. Simply. Oh, so, okay. So you you don't you don't think that being uh, gay? You don't think? What do you think? That's a choice, or do you think it's biological? I think it's a choice, and it's uh, how people are behaving. It's one thing. I think government has responsibility to encourage uh, the uh, the traditional uh, value that we have uh, had for the past years. Adrian Batra and Daryl Bricker on the line with me. And Adrian, you pointed out that the other leadership uh, contenders, those that have a, a hope, quickly mm-hmm. denounced that. Uh, Daryl, I'll go to you. It, is this the kind of thing that will ultimately sink the Conservatives as they try and form government in the next election? If they, if they allow it into their thinking, if they allow it into their, uh, to their way of campaigning, if they adopt those kinds of issues, it's over. I mean, and they might as well just go back to being something else. I mean, there's no way that that aligns with the, the views of, uh, of the major- vast majority of Canadians today. So this is what I mean by, you know, going back and kind of relitigating issues, by the way, that are defined in this instance by the media. I mean, I don't think anybody in the Conservative Party is thinking of this person as a credible source of information about what the leadership campaign is about. But he's an interesting choice for the media to put on television, on power, or whatever that show was on CTV. I mean, this is the kind of thing that conservatives always have to deal with. They look for the most extreme elements and they highlight them as as though there's some sort of a mainstream uh, version of what a conservative is. It absolutely isn't a a mainstream version of conservatism. Adrian, you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I I mean, they do find, um, we, we in the media have a very good knack for finding that sort of caricature of what we think or that should be that should be portrayed as what um, you know a modern day conservative is, and that individual is certainly not it. Um, you know, stupidity is, I guess, not a choice for him. So you know, it's just this is this is the the challenge that they ultimately face is that there are still um, strong elements of social conservatives in the in the conservative party, and frankly, they help them get elected. That's the reality. So you, you have to find some sort of balance whereby you're not completely um, ignoring them or ignoring their, their concerns or their issues, but at the same time recognizing, as Daryl has accurately put it, the vast majority of Canadians have moved well, well past that. And frankly, so has the Conservative Party of Canada. Um, 
But then why do we have a guy like Poliarev saying something like he was going to open for, you know, open it up to be brought forward by MPs who can vote on their conscience? For the very reason I just said, there are still elements within the party that have those beliefs. Those private members' motions have been brought forward year after year after year, and they always get shot down. But that said, they need to be very cognizant that making this the central issue is not the central issue, because as people look, um, all Canadians look at uh, the, the next um, leader of the party, uh, they will, as I said, likely be looking at the potential next prime minister. And that person, whomever it is, needs to be very much in lockstep with the values of mainstream Canadians. Daryl, last question quickly to you, and, and that is, you know, much was made about Andrew Scheer not marching in a gay pride parade. An issue like that, I just take that one particular thing, it, is whoever leads the Conservatives next, have they best be out uh, in the parades or they're not going to be elected? Uh, no, I, I don't think it necessarily comes down to that. I mean, the, the, the Pride Parade most people are talking about is the Toronto Pride Parade. And, you know, quite frankly, given the uh, the parade's views on, on, on police, given that law and order is such a big issue for Canadians, it'll be interesting to see what the, the candidates decide to do with that. But uh, being unequivocally, unequivocally supportive of uh, LGBTQ rights in this country is not even a debatable question. There's nobody uh, that has any chance of winning an election campaign that can't uh, believe that in their core and their soul. That's just it. Canadians have moved on. And, uh, and I'm not talking small numbers, I'm talking the vast majority of Canadians. So uh, the more that the Conservative Party spends its time debating these kinds of things, the less chance they will have of getting elected in the next election. Daryl Bricker is the CEO of Ipsos, the doctor with the numbers, and Adrian Batra is editor-in-chief of the Toronto Sun. Thank you to you both for being on the program. Thank you, and thank you, Adrian. Thank you. Thanks, Carol. Right, bye-bye. Welcome back to the program as we get you up to date on what's going on in China as China taking drastic measures to contain that deadly new virus that has spread to several other countries. Chinese authorities have now locked down three cities, home to more than 18 million people, in an unprecedented effort to contain the deadly new virus that has sickened hundreds and spread to other parts of the world during the busy Lunar New Year travel period. The train station and the airport in Wuhan, the epicenter of the outbreak, are now shut down. Bus, ferry and subway service has been halted. The open-ended lockdowns are unprecedented in size, embracing more people than the population of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Here's Tom Rivers with more on that. The normally bustling streets of Wuhan in central China are eerily quiet. Trains and planes now cut off. These locals, through translators, say... I think what the government does is right. It should have done it earlier. After all, this is a national adversity. I saw it in the news. It was everywhere in the news. No one can get out after 10 a.m. All residents are being asked to wear masks in public places, while government staff are being urged to wear them at work. Tom Rivers, ABC News, at the Foreign Desk. Meanwhile, the World Health Organization has not yet made a declaration of worldwide emergency. It says it needs more information. But the World Health Organization representative in China says hospitals are desperately trying to keep up as the caseload keeps rising. 
And we are now daily uh, hearing of massive increases in the numbers. Uh, part of that increase is coming from the processing of specimens collected earlier. So the word there being that just because there has been an enormous spike in cases does not mean that suddenly we have actual further spread. It may actually be that just older cases are now actually being confirmed, and that may be the reason behind the spike in the numbers. Meanwhile, the Canadian federal health minister, Patty Haidu, says several people in Canada are now under observation for signs that they may have contracted the coronavirus from China. But she says the risk here in Canada is extremely low and that no one at this point has tested positive. I believe it's uh, six, if I, it's five or six, I believe. Uh, uh, one person has been cleared of having, uh, having the virus, and, uh, but they are monitoring the others. Uh, there uh, was a case in Vancouver, I believe, and uh, also Quebec. That is the Federal Minister of Health, Patty Haidu, talking about the fact that no one has actually been diagnosed 100% with the illness here in Canada. But as you heard, there are a number of people under observation. We have one confirmed case in the Seattle area in the United States. It is quite possible that we will see more cases. Speaking with an infectious disease expert yesterday about this, who said just because one or two pops up, does not mean that this, again, is a return to SARS and that the world is considerably different than it was during the SARS outbreak. And specifically here in Toronto, we have learned many things. You may be wondering about your local hospital. And if you've been to the emergency room, if you have been to a local hospital, you know it is crowded, sometimes overcrowded people in the hallways. That is what has been experienced, especially in Brampton. And coming up, the mayor of Brampton, Patrick Brown, will join me live on the program to talk about why that council has decided to declare an emergency. But the Minister of Health for this province, Christine Elliott, also the Deputy Premier, was asked specifically about this, about the fact that if we have an incredibly contagious or a dangerous virus, at least, that we are trying to keep people quarantined, if they show up in hospital... And say, I, you know, I have traveled to this area, I have a fever, or, or, or what have you. What is going to happen to everybody else? The, the hospitals are bursting at the seams with people. Here's Christine Elliott's response. Minister, is um, overcrowding of hospitals going to be an issue if, uh, if the coronavirus lands in Ontario? No, it will not, because we have specific measures that will be in place, as I indicated before, to both... Uh, detect and contain this virus. So anyone who is being tested in the future will be placed in isolation and that staff will be given the necessary protective equipment to protect both themselves as well as to prevent transmission of the virus. The minister goes on to say that most, if not all, hospitals in the province have isolation wards. They have areas that are set aside specifically for this. And she was asked, well, wait a second, if there are empty rooms, why are we not using those?
Welcome back to the program. The progressive conservatives promised in the 2018 election campaign that they would end hallway health care. But hospitals in this province continue to face massive overcrowding. A government commission report a year ago found that on any given day, at least 1,000 people are being treated in hospital hallways. And figures obtained by the NDP through freedom of information requests show several hospitals are above 100% occupancy rate every month from July 2018 to June 2019, and those rates are climbing. Yesterday, in a press conference talking about the coronavirus, the Minister of Health, Christine Elliott, was asked about Brampton hospitals specifically, and said that, yes, she admitted that they were now over 100% in terms of the amount of people who are there. And the Ontario Hospital Association president and CEO Anthony Dale has said that the sector, the hospital sector, needs an additional investment of $922 million. That's a 4.85% increase to be able to maintain service levels and to do what the Conservatives have said that they will do, which is end hallway health care. Meanwhile, Brampton City Council has voted unanimously to declare a health care emergency amid overcrowding and excessive wait times at that community's hospitals. And joining me on the line is the mayor of Brampton, Patrick Brown. Welcome, Patrick. Hey, Alan. Great to be on your show. Why declare a health care emergency? Well, normally when you declare an emergency as a municipality, it's in situations where the community believes that lives are at risk. You know, if you look at the ice storms in Toronto a few years ago or the the, the giant snowstorm in, in Newfoundland where they sought help, we declared an emergency because we felt the situation has grown so dire that uh, the lives were at risk. And, and what precipitated this is we had a group of local physicians and patient advocates come to city council asking for us to, to declare an emergency. These were hospital frontline staff, uh, physicians that see the situation firsthand. And we realized, you know, there was no partisan agenda here. There was no political agenda, but it's a vocation to help people. And they've seen how bad it's it's become. Certainly this hasn't, this hasn't happened in the last year. This has been a long time problem in the making, but it's got to the point where Brampton has the lowest funding per capita in the province. So right now, Ontario spends roughly $1,900 per resident on healthcare. It's only 900 in Brampton. In terms of beds, we have 55% less beds than the provincial average. Right now, we have 608 hospital beds. Just to meet the provincial average, we need another 800 beds. So it's it's pretty dire, and unfortunately, hallway medicine has now become the norm. And some of the stats that were shared with us by the, by the health authority are just shocking. Our urgent care clinic which is funded for 10,000 visitors, got 75,000 visitors uh, last year. Our emergency room, which is funded for a maximum of 90,000 visitors, had over 140,000 last year. Uh, Something needs to be done. Usually when there is a declaration of a state of emergency, it unlocks some kind of funding or powers or some kind of resource for you, either a municipality or whatever level of government is declaring that emergency. Is that happening in this case? So we hope that um, the province has realized this is a a call for help. 
the health minister, Christine Elliott, has agreed to our request to do a tour. I want her to see firsthand how bad it is. Um, you know, in Canada, we're a prosperous country, and uh, the fact that you see people being cared for four or five days at a time in a hallway, that's not the Canadian healthcare system that, that we're proud of. And so I want her to see that firsthand. I know the Premier is trying to make himself available for, for a meeting, and so I, I certainly think this declaration of emergency has uh, um, woken some people up at Queen's Park to the crisis that exists in our community. But then, I guess, to my point, then the declaration of an emergency is really an attempt to just put pressure on the provincial government. It is in the sense that when there has been declarations of emergencies before, whether it is extreme weather events like flooding or ice storms, help has has followed. And so we're we're hopeful that they can... But if a mayor mayor declares a state of emergency because of a natural disaster, that unlocks funding, that, 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 that is a specific thing. What you have done here is you know, for lack of a better term, is public relations. This is an attempt to shame the government into action. Well, it's also a reminder that the situation is similar to that of an extreme weather event. That The reason governments act quickly when there's an extreme weather event is because lives are at risk. Well, we believe we have lives at risk. We had patients come forward, um, or loved ones of patients. We had people come to our, our council chamber sharing stories of loved ones that passed away within our healthcare system. And so our, their worry, this group of residents that came forward, their worry is they don't want this to happen to another family. They don't want another, another Canadian to, um, frankly, have their last days spent in, in a hallway. I contacted the Ministry of Health for comment, and uh, as I mentioned, the Minister of Health was asked about this a little bit yesterday during her press conference talking about the the coronavirus, and the response from the government spokesperson from the Minister of Health was essentially a long list, a laundry list of investments into Brampton, and I will just read you just the top of it. It It goes on. But it starts this way, quote, Ontario is making significant investments in Brampton. Hospital operating funding with $26.3 million going to William Osler, plus $4 million in surge funding, and $1 million for two critical care adult level three beds. Now, it goes on, but the point being is that the government's position is that it is investing in Brampton. Your reaction to that? Well, Alan, when a government talks about making a $1 million investment, when you're talking about a billion-dollar operation, um, obviously it's just been. I'm sure there's some junior staffer there that was told to come up with a list, but I don't think anyone would take that list uh, seriously. Those are this just is the co- this is the communications department for the minister yeah. of health. Yeah. This is the actual spokesperson who said this, uh, you know, the response from the government. And, and I guess I think a lot of people will yeah. uh, think about uh, the potential rift between your council and between the provincial government and whether or not declaring an emergency is the right way to unlock funding from the government well you know we've we've uh, been uh, polite and waiting uh, so far but i think something had to give um and whatever you know lipstick you're gonna you're gonna put on that pig in terms of the funding arrangement for 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 brampton the reality is the average resident in Ontario gets $1,900 um, for healthcare dollars. In Brampton, it's 900 And no one can tell me, no one can tell me why it's appropriate that a resident who lives in Vaughan or a resident who lives in Oakville who pay the same provincial taxes as we do deserves to have a higher quality of healthcare. 
$1,900 per resident in Vaughan, $1,900 in Oakville, $900 per resident in Brampton. It doesn't wash. You can't, no, no spin can sell this to me. What has been the response from the provincial government when you make those points? They acknowledge that uh, their response to me was, it's a crisis. They get that. But it, they didn't create the mess. They told me this was created by the previous government, that they take my plea seriously and they want to meet to discuss it. And I, I said, listen, I'm happy to meet, but meetings can't just be for the sake of, of meetings or, or a photo. Uh, we're really hoping this is going to follow with announcements that the, the, the situation is going to change. Patrick Brown is the mayor of Brampton. City Council there unanimously declaring a state of emergency in terms of health care. Patrick, really appreciate you being on the program. My pleasure. All right, let's turn our eye to Tesla, shall we? And would you consider buying a Tesla? I'll tell you one thing. Elon Musk, it doesn't matter that he can't dance. I don't know if you saw the video of him in China a couple of weeks ago. The man cannot dance. It doesn't matter because when you're that rich, you can do whatever you like. And you may have been watching the stock price of Tesla recently, there is a potential for a giant, giant payday for Elon Musk if the stock price for Tesla continues to soar high. Tesla is now valued at more than Ford and General Motors combined. Tesla shares rose another 4.1% Wednesday, pushing the market value of the electric vehicle and solar panel maker to over $100 billion. Tesla shares have tripled since last May. Tesla has yet to reach profitability, and it lost $1.1 billion during the first half of last year. But in the third quarter, the company posted a surprising profit of $143 million. The company will report fourth quarter results on January 29th. I'm Mike Gracia. So you run a company that doesn't actually make money, but you're expected to actually make unbelievable amounts of money because of the stock price. And I'm just looking at that stock price right now, 566.54 US. That's down 0.5% in trading today as I'm watching the NASDAQ and Tesla. This at the same time that the U.S. government's auto safety agency is looking into allegations that all three of Tesla's electric vehicle models can suddenly accelerate on their own. An agency document shows 127 owner complaints to the government that includes 110 crashes and 52 injuries. The agency says it will also look into allegations that cover uh, half a million Tesla vehicles. And this, this is all on top of three December crashes involving Tesla vehicles in which three people were killed. I guess my point is that stock prices can go up and they can go down. And whatever happens with those investigations likely will determine a lot of that. To Egypt, where researchers say they have now been able to mimic the voice of a 3,000-year-old Egyptian mummy. What they did here is they recreated much of the mummy's vocal tract using medical scanners, 3D printing, and something known as an electronic larynx. All of this was published in a scientific paper on Thursday. Researchers say that by taking all of that high tech, they managed to put together a technique that allowed them to produce essentially 
a single sound, and it sounded like this. You are cursed. Whoops! Whoops!